Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That is Genesis chapter 15, verses 17 through 19, and welcome back to another edition of Bridge Radio, coming at you from the great state of Texas. Texas. And this is episode number 100. Woo! I, I cannot believe we have done a hundred consecutive weekly episodes. Wow! And yeah. uh, we are here on this. We, we are now here, guys. Um, thank you for everyone who has uh, stuck along with us, and uh, even from the horrible episodes—not horrible, but they're, as they're kind of rough. as it was. As, really as, as pa- yeah, as painful as it was, you guys st- uh, re- really kept there along with us, and we're just so thankful where we're at today, uh, just as a ministry. And uh, we just want to thank the listeners more than anything for reaching yeah. out to us, for sharing, for mm-hmm. spreading this podcast. And and uh, really, Bridge Radio was set up to really encourage people to pick up and read, yeah. to introduce people to good, solid theological resources and books. And authors. And, and, and yeah, just just increase their knowledge and, and, yeah. and the wisdom of God. And along those lines, if, if anybody has suggestions about yeah. an author or a specific book that you would like us to take a look at, you know, send us an email. Just don't sh- don't uh, send uh, Ojo Olsen or any of those. Yeah, in. none of those. You guys know better, right? Yeah. But just in case. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So again, just thank you. I, 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 even today when I was setting up for this program, I was like, man, this is episode number one hundred. I'm so yeah. thankful. We were we had dinner with Dr. Steve Leston, yes. and uh, he shared with us a story that I think uh, should be an encouragement to to everybody here at the ministry and also to our listeners. Yeah. Uh, you you want to share this? Yeah. Uh, so for our listeners, uh, Dr. Steve Leston uh, is the author of Bible and World History. He came on on. Uh, the podcast episode fifty six or fifty five, one of those two. It was a great, great podcast mm-hmm. and dealing also with uh, God's sovereignty and world history, which is a great, great episode. But yeah, uh, so he came to the ministry uh, this week and we're you know just came to visit us and just talking about uh, certain things. Well, he just told us a story of uh, that uh, he's also the president of True Every Tribe uh, uh, Ministries, ministries uh, that have uh, missionaries come and train and as they go out. But uh, he said that one of his missionaries got that one of his missionaries uh, who gets supported by somebody in uh, Louisiana, Louisiana. Uh, has sent them uh, a message like, hey, uh, you, are you near Laredo? You know, how far are you from Laredo? And it's like, oh, you know, we're not that close. But, you know, and and they're like, do you know this uh, place called Bridge we, Bridge Ministries? Uh, yeah. We listen to Bridge Radio. Yeah. And uh, he told us that story. And we're just the, like, yeah, wow. Said they're, my, they're my favorite podcast. Yeah, they're my favorite podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys are listening, uh, thank you very much. Uh you know we can't do this without our listeners mm-hmm. um and like steve said if you guys have just any any topics or subjects you guys want to talk about or any authors like he said please uh you know shoot, shoot, shoot us an email shoot us an email Julio Bridgman at yeah. gmail.com uh and and this is what we want to do and just teach you guys so that we we can grow together mm-hmm. um because uh these these podcasts just become very uh, edifying to us as well 
Yeah. So thank you guys all over the world. Yes. Not not just Louisiana or California mm-hmm. and wherever else we have our listeners coming yeah. from the United yeah. States and Texas and Ireland and Australia. Yeah. And <laughs> Ethiopia. Share. Share, ladies and gentlemen. That's get right. it out. Yes. Get it out. Get it out. Awesome. All right. Well, today on episode number 100, we have a special, special <laughs> guest. We're going to be talking about the uh, uh, suffering, evil, the responsibility of man and the sovereignty of God with uh, one of Protestantism's greatest scholars. theologians, mm-hmm. scholars, uh, I would even say in all of Christendom. I think mm-hmm. R.C. Sproul said something to, to that effect about our guest today. Yeah, And uh, yeah, we're, we're going to be answering, trying to answer some questions. It's a big topic in the book that we're going to be promoting. It, it, it dives deep in a bunch of things. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you know, how do we reconcile evil and suffering? Um, and, uh, and, you know, answering these, during these trials, um, you know, when we're asking, where's God? You know, how long, oh Lord, is the title of the book. Yeah, what a great and, title. Uh, and so we're going to be discussing that subject. Yeah. All right, Stephen Abe, so are we ready to kick off this interview? Let's do it. Let's do it. D.A. Carson is a research professor of New Testament at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He has written and edited more than 60 books, including an introduction to the New Testament, the gagging of God, and the gospel according to John. On today's program, we will be discussing uh, his book, How Long, O Lord, Reflections on Suffering and Evil. Thank you, Dr. Carson, for joining Bridge Radio. It's nice to be with you. Yes, so I I have uh, thoroughly been enjoying your book, How Long, O Lord, and uh, one of the questions that I wanted to ask really before we dive into the subject is, why is it important for the Christian to have a biblical understanding of suffering, evil, and the responsibility of man and God's sovereignty before they really encounter a personal tragedy in their life? Most people, when they face serious suffering, physical or psychological, emotionally, and so on, uh, suffer at two levels. Uh, one is the pain itself from oh, surgery, for example, or a, a cancerous growth and, and so on. The other is the suffering that comes about because they're busy asking questions of the why me sort, or if there is a God, what's he trying to do? And that becomes hugely disorienting. Um, since sooner or later, everyone will suffer. All you have to do is live long enough and you will face suffering of some sort or another. Mm -hmm. Um, Therefore, it seems best, especially for the Christian, to get some of the theology sorted out in advance. It's Mm -hmm. sort of prophylactic uh, spiritual medicine to, to have certain pillars anchored deep in Scripture and tethering your own soul and mind and imagination so that you're all ready to say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Um, I have a friend who who lost a, a baby at 39 weeks of gestation. Hmm. Uh, the baby was stillborn two or three days later. And um, he and his wife have, have just uh, written a little book. It'll be out shortly called The Moon is Always Round. Mm-hmm. And it really tells the story of, of how they talked about these things to their to their three-year-old boy, uh, the older brother of the deceased lass, and um, and and the, the boy was looking at the moon and said, "Tonight the, the moon looks like a banana," and then described what the moon looks like in in different configurations. And the father kept saying, "Yes, but the moon is always round," mm-hmm. until the lesson was finally applied. Um, sometimes you don't see part of the moon. 
Sometimes you don't see what God is doing, but God is always good. The moon is always round. Mm. And to get some of those theological pillars well and truly in place, which certainly involve hard thinking about divine sovereignty and things of that order, uh, yet nevertheless, it's the part of wisdom to get your theology uh, upgraded to to think about things like that before the suffering that will come actually does come. I think uh, it reminds me of, I think it's a quote by Tozer, but he said, uh, it, a proper understanding of God spares us from 10,000 temporal problems. And uh, I just can't help but think about that while you're while you're talking about that, having that being able to rest in God and who he is and his goodness uh, spares us from so many things that would otherwise just yeah. bring us to the end of ourselves. Yes, a lot of people uh, have thought a bit about the problems of evil and suffering in the abstract, maybe even philosophically, um, but don't really think of them deeply mm, or yeah. bear witness to their personal application until they've been kicked in the teeth themselves. Mm, mm, yeah. And then it all comes home. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's 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 really important to take the prophylactic medicine in advance. Somebody who's going through the worst sort of bereavement or physical suffering or pain probably won't cope too well with my book. How long, O oh Lord? It's, yeah. it's just too much. Hmm. Um, but to get to get its teaching, its biblical reflections and meditations well and truly absorbed before the evil day yeah. is, in my view, just a part of wisdom. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I second that, which you said, that just not even be able to handle your book. The first chapter opens up with just story after story of people suffering, and then you ending with a question, which is, uh, why, God? Why yeah. is why is this happening? And so I, I wanted to, to, to ask, you, ask you, Dr. Carson, what, what suffering in your life caused a period of asking questions um, just about the love of God and, and the power of God, you just questioning God's goodness. Although I insist that everybody, if he or she lives long enough, goes through suffering, mm-hmm. not everybody goes through suffering compounded with massive doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, some people go through doubt because they've been poorly taught or it, the suffering catches them by surprise or they really have no... A real, really good grasp of, of, uh, of, of the love of God. They haven't contemplated long, the cross and so on. Um, so, uh, you know, I face some things compared with some of my brothers and sisters in other corners of the world. Uh, not much. I, I've had three diseases that could have killed me, um, and one or two of them painful. Uh, I've certainly lost friends and loved ones, and and uh, faced discouragements of various kinds in ministry and so on. So, yes, um, I faced all of those kinds of things, but none of them has ever caused me to doubt God's essential goodness. Mm. And, um, and, and, and so I'm not writing the book from the perspective of someone who um, suffers from deep depression. Uh, it's not that I've been diagnosed with clinical depression or a- anything of that sort. Right. For me, it's it's uh, the facticity of suffering that does come to everybody, and then how to think about those things biblically, theologically, and how it will be applied to a person's life. How much it will serve as a general counter, genuine counter to to discouragement and depression is really going to depend a great deal on the individual. Um, but uh, the the genesis of the book came out of biblical reflection rather than out of personal depression. So, Dr. Carson, 
Uh, I think it's always good to have some terminology that we can use to help us understand uh, suffering and and uh, God's sovereignty from a biblical perspective. And in your book, you use compatibilism as a term to describe that, to, to describe man's responsibility and God's sovereignty over evil. So can you define that term, compatibilism, for us, please? Yes, I use compatibilism the way it is not uncommonly used in Christian, confessional, especially Reformed circles. There is another usage of compatibilism that's used by secular people that is a bit different. Hmm. I'm not a compatibilist in that sense, and I won't even go into that definition. But amongst Christians, compatibilism is the belief that certain propositions are compatible. That is, uh, one does not cancel out the other. Two propositions in particular. The first is, God is absolutely sovereign, but his sovereignty never mitigates human responsibility. Mm-hmm. That's the first okay. proposition. The second is, human beings are morally responsible creatures. By that, I mean that they believe and they disbelieve, they choose, they obey, they disobey, and their actions in all of these uh, particulars are significant. So they are morally responsible creatures, but their moral responsibility never makes God absolutely contingent. Mm. So. What I insist is that the Bible strongly insists that both of these propositions are true. Now, there are some people who try to set them up so that if you believe one, you don't believe the other. They're mutually contradictory, they're incompatible, um, and so on. Whereas, I want to argue from Scripture that the two propositions are both true at the same time in all places everywhere. Hmm. And if you believe that both of those statements are true, then you are a compatibilist. You believe that the statements are mutually compatible. Right. Okay. That's all that I mean. Okay. Now, there are huge implications to that that are personal and, and so on, but the, the term itself is is, is, is not a heavy-duty theological term. It's, it's just a, a question of, of claim about the logical relationship of two truths. Can you, uh, I think most Christians would acknowledge that God is sovereign, if you ask them, but I wonder how many actually understand God's sovereignty from a biblical perspective. And I'm wondering if you could just flesh out that a little bit. Yes. Um, God's sovereignty is presented in many different ways in Scripture. Um, but consider the doctrine of providence, hmm. which is one of the outworkings of God's sovereignty. Um, Queen Elizabeth is sovereign of the United Kingdom. Hmm. In that sense, she has a certain kind of sovereignty, but it's it's a de facto thing. She doesn't actually rule. Uh, well, she rules in a sort of legal sense, right. but she can't she can't write laws. Right. She can't pass laws. She signs laws that Parliament passes into 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 law. But at the end of the day, uh, her powers are largely titular and honorific. And she's the head of state, but she's not really the head of government. Mm -hmm. So what you mean by saying she is sovereign is a bit different from saying what you mean when you claim that the king of Saudi Arabia is sovereign. Mm -hmm. And even he, his sovereignty is somewhat constrained by family pressures and relationships within the the, 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 the the clan and so on, um, 6,000 cousins and uncles and aunts and relatives and so on. Um, 
But when we say that God is sovereign, we are claiming not only that he has the right to rule, but that he does rule. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And at the end of the day, however many footnotes you want to put in, nothing takes place anywhere in the universe or outside the universe. Nothing takes place that um, is uh, outside the sphere of God's constraint. Mm -hmm. Now, you still want to say some other things with that. You want to insist that God is good. Yes. And that sometimes the Bible does speak of secondary causalities. Uh, We'll come to some of those categories in a moment. But it never presents God as uh, being asleep for a while and things got on without him. Mm. Or um, facing up to the devil and the devil turns out on some occasion to be stronger than God. Um, uh, God still remains God. He Mm. is sovereign and his sovereignty is always uh, uh, operative. He is never a merely constitutional monarch. To confess God's sovereignty is not an honorific. It's a, a description of what God is and does. Yeah, yet in the in, in the second part of your uh, your uh, definition with regards to human beings being morally responsible, you say they significantly choose, rebel, obey, believe, etc., and are held accountable for their actions, but this characteristic never functions so as to make God absolutely contingent. Can you talk about that a little bit as well, what uh, what you mean by, by God not being contingent? Well, um, ph- phenomenologically, that is, in terms of the description of things, um, God clearly is contingent in some sense. Um, uh, even in the Garden of Eden, Uh, Adam and Eve sin, and then in the evening, in the cool of the day, Mm -hmm. God calls out to Adam saying, where are you? Right. Um, Question, is he asking because he doesn't know? Hmm. Yeah. Um, If he does know, if he doesn't know, then he's just not the God of the Bible, Hmm. Uh uh, from from whom you cannot hide. Uh, If I flee to the wings of the dawn, you are there. If I descend to the depths of hell, you are there. How shall I go? Where shall I flee from your spirit? Do you see? The the God of the Bible is omnipresent, omniscient. Uh, To to imagine that that the reason why God calls, where are you, is because he doesn't know and he's seeking information uh, is is not far off just being silly. Hmm. So thus in the in the the actual presentation of the argument, God is contingent. Hmm. They sin, and God responds. Mm -hmm. He responds contingently, contingent upon their sin. Hmm. Yet in another sense, um, there are lots of biblical texts that keep saying that uh, God planned redemption from before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, and so on. So so although, phenomenologically, at the level of appearances, he he is... uh, contingent in some sense, he cannot ever be thought to be absolutely contingent. Mm. That is, uh, utterly dependent on responding to somebody else's prior action, yeah. because he is always sovereign. Yeah, yeah. It can never... And and so I, I I want all those words in when I start talking about uh, human responsibility and 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 and, and insist that God's sovereignty makes him. Uh, uh, beyond the possibility of absolute contingency, yeah. but you 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 have to acknowledge that he's contingent in some sense, or else God is not personal. Sure, um, he does ask questions, he does interact, he responds to people's sin, uh, he rejoices over over obedience, and so on. Uh, you you don't want to build a picture of the sovereignty of God that just makes him 
the great power, but without love or choice or or, or interaction, all of which is is found everywhere in Scripture. Right. Yeah, without that, uh, without God's condescension and speaking to us in terms that we can understand in our humanity, we would have uh, no understanding of who he who he who he is in his personality, um, in his relation to us. So it it makes sense that he would speak to us in such a way so that we can understand. I, re- I really did enjoy on page 194 of your book, it says, to what extent does, and I quote, to what extent does human freedom pose limitation of God's sovereign control over earthly affairs? Hmm. So I, I, I was, I had highlighted that, and I was just really interesting as you were pointing that out. Yeah, and so, uh, Dr. Carson, I mean, what, what free will, of, if anything, do we actually have um, as humans, I know that's a big question posed uh, when when it comes into uh, these conversations. I guess it's, that would be just really defining what what free will is within compatibilism uh, for the human responsibility. Yeah, that that is another big question. It's something I addressed only briefly in the book, but I would put it something like this: um, What a lot of people mean by free will is having what I call absolute power to contrary. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That is to say that God, that God has given human beings, according to this view of free will, such absolute power to contrary that God himself is not sovereign over it. So on such a view of free will, freedom of the will is stronger than God. Mm. God's sovereignty is made contingent upon our freedom. So in that sense, the freedom of the will is cast, in that view, over against the sovereignty of God in some sense or other. But if you have no notion of freedom anywhere if we're just cogs in a machine then it's hard to see exactly um, where our responsibility lies if if we do stuff just because god put the screws together in this way and then you must still answer uh, fine but wherein does human accountability lie where on what does human responsibility rest Mm. And a lot of people assume that it rests on freedom of the will as absolute power to contrary. Hmm. But that, I say, contradicts uh, what the Bible says about the sovereignty of God. So across the years, many people have have, have tried to get the biblical balance uh, right and have had various ways of, of expressing these things. Um, one, of the, one of the ablest... Uh, I think, is uh, expressed by Jonathan Edwards. Hmm. He wrote a book called The Freedom of the Will. And um, uh, he argues that human accountability before God finally rests on the fact that we do what we want to do. Hmm. However constrained we may be in the mystery of providence, the fact of the matter is we do what we want to do, and therefore we are rightly charged with responsibility for doing it. In a sense, God has ordained our free will, but our free will never makes God contingent. Yes, I agree with that so long as by free will. You don't mean uh, uh, with absolute power to contrary. Right, yeah, not the libertarian so, free will. Yeah, uh, other. That's, that's right, I'm really contradicting the libertarian notion of free will. Others in the in the heritage of Christian confessionalism, have distinguished between free will and free agency. Mm, yes. Um, but that that's, 
in, in one sense, you can make that out to be a, a difference without a distinction, hmm, yeah. um, or a distinction rather without a, a real difference. Sure. Um, but as as some theologians uh, use the term, free will includes absolute power to contrary, free agency does not. So that if I do something sinful or something good, I am morally accountable and either to be blamed or to be praised for doing it. Um, but from a larger biblical perspective, um, uh, it, God's sovereignty is operating in any case through both of those things. But with this difference, that God stands behind all that is good in the universe mm. in such a way that he is to be praised for it. Mm. He stands behind that which is evil in the world, but in such a way that he is not to be blamed for it. Mm. That is to say, he stands behind good and evil asymmetrically. Yeah. He doesn't stand behind it in exactly the same way. Sure. He stands behind the good such that he is always ultimately to be praised for the good. He stands behind evil in such a way that it cannot escape his sovereign sway. But the, the evil itself, the evil dimensions of the act, um, uh, are, are, are finally the result of uh, secondary causes, secondary causalities. Um, it, it might be easiest to look at a couple of biblical passages to, yes. to, to, to see what that. Absolutely. This has all been pretty philosophical. Let, sure. let, me, let me look at two or three biblical passages. Yeah, that would be great. An easy one, first of all. Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. Um, the old man, Jacob, has died. And uh, Joseph's brothers are afraid that now that the old man is dead, he'll take vengeance upon them for having sold him off into slavery. Mm -hmm. And so they concoct a, a story and present it to him and so on. Joseph is a bit hurt that they think so poorly of him. And then he reflects out loud on what happened when he was sold into slavery. He said, you meant it, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. Hmm. Now that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, it's, it's interesting, especially when you think of what Joseph does not say. He does not say, uh, God was having a snooze that day or was away on holiday. And uh, because he wasn't watching, uh, therefore, uh, you managed to sell me off into slavery. But fortunately, God is such a brilliant chess player that he moved the pieces around and it came out that I became um, a prime minister of Egypt. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Nor does he say, uh, God's plan was to drive me down to Egypt in a, an air-conditioned chauffeur-driven limousine, but unfortunately you guys came along and mucked his plan up, and as a result, I went down as a slave instead. He doesn't say that. But rather, in one and the same event, there were human causalities, and there was the divine causality, one with good intentions, one with evil intentions. Mm -hmm. You can see how the two propositions that constitute compatibilism mm -hmm. both operate, uh, accurately there. Sure. Yeah. I, I really like that you say in your book, similarly when the Bible, and I quote, similarly when the Bible speaks of God's permission of evil, there's still no escape from his sovereignty. And, and then you go down to say he never uh, uh, gets credited with evil. He always gets credited with good. And, and yes, he's good, 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 good. He's yes. not sometimes good or partially good or <laughs> occasionally good or good on a good day or... He's good, just good. Yeah. So it's it's part of the essential nature of his very being. Yeah. So while we stress God's sovereignty, we must equally stress no less his goodness. And that's something I think we have to have as a presupposition going into it that God is good. Yeah. And that's that's yes. unquestionable. Yeah. 
Now, another example is perhaps more striking yet because it's longer. Um, I'm referring to Isaiah 10, oh. 5 and following. And there God is addressing um, the Assyrians who are the regional superpower that are beating up uh, uh, the Israelites. The Assyrians by this point have already uh, beaten up and captured and re reduced to rubble the northern tribes, and um, the Assyrians are busy attacking uh, Jerusalem, uh, Judea, and uh, Benjamin. And God says, Woe to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. Now so pause there for a moment. That means God views the judgments meted out by the Assyrians as God's judgments. Hmm. They're the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. I send him. So God is sovereign over this pagan nation and sends this pagan nation against a godless nation. He means the Israelites. I dispatch him, dispatch him against the people who anger me to seize loot and snatch plunder and to trample them down like mud in the streets. So in all the awful mess of warfare and people being slaughtered and killed in the mud of the streets, it's because the Assyrians do it, but God has sent them to do it. Yeah. But this is not what he intends, God says. That is, this is not what the Assyrian intends. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. Are not my commanders all kings? He says that is, even his commanders are more powerful than the kings of other nations. Hmm. Has not Kalno fared like Carchemish? That is, cities that he's already destroyed. Is not Hamat like Arpad? And so on. Therefore, verse 12, when the Lord has finished all his work against Mount Zion, that is, his work of judgment, of beating up on his own people because of their sin, when work against Mount Zion and Jerusalem, he will say, I will punish the king of Assyria for the willful pride of his heart and the haughty look in his eyes. For he said, by the strength of my hand I have done this, mm. by my wisdom, because I have understanding. In other words, he doesn't recognize God's sovereignty over himself. Yeah. Yeah. And what God says in horrendous uh, dislike, verse 15, does the axe raise itself above the person who swings it? So th th these are th there are many passages like that in the prophets. That just happens to be one of the clearest mm. ones. Yeah. One more, because it gets us to the heart of the gospel. Mm. Um, this one, too, has has many parallels, but uh, we'll look at one that is quite striking. Uh, Acts chapter 4, mm. verses 27 and 28. Um, in the context, uh, Peter and John have not yet been beaten up, but they've been threatened, they've been held before the Sanhedrin, uh, they've been forbidden to um, preach about Jesus and the resurrection and so on. And when they're released, 423... Peter and John went back to their own people. It means the, not the Jews, but, but, the, but the Christians. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer to God. And they pray, Sovereign Lord. <laughs> That's one of the things that the Church has regularly done when it faces persecution. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they begin by confessing God's sovereignty. <laughs> They're not saying, Oh God, this is such a mess! Please pay attention to what's going on. You're 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 losing the the, the narrative flow here. Do you, do you see? Um, I'm in touch with Christians in in China and parts of the Muslim world and this sort of thing. Hmm. When they face opposition, um, I just don't know Christians who say, um, 
Are you losing this script? <laughs> they begin by confessing God's sovereignty, wow. and then they quote mm -hmm. Scripture to affirm God's sovereignty. Wow. You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, and quote Psalm 2, Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the, Lord of the earth rise up against uh, the Lord and his anointed one. And then 27 and 28, get this. Here's your compatibilism. Hmm. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Hmm. So if all you had was verse 27, and you ask the question, why did Jesus go to the cross? Yeah. Hmm. The answer must be, because there was a two-bit political conspiracy in a small country on the eastern end of the Mediterranean. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. There's no theology there. Right. Yeah. But in the very next verse you read, they did what your power and will had mm. decided beforehand should happen. Mm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and now that, that brings in all of Scripture, you know. Yeah. Jesus went to the cross not simply as a result of a two-bit conspiracy, but to fulfill all the Passover passages to fulfill the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement passages, to fulfill Isaiah 53. Hmm. He came wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And, and, and you can't pit 27 against 28. Right. Hmm. On the one hand, you can't say that because the rulers did what God's hand had determined beforehand should be done, hmm. that therefore they're not guilty of course they're guilty. They're guilty of corruption, political machinations. Um, they're guilty, really, in effect, of a kind of judicial murder. Hmm. Of course they're guilty. But it doesn't mean that God is contingent in any absolute sense. They were also used by God in his sovereignty to bring about his purposes from before the foundation of the world. Hmm. So here you, you want to affirm that human beings, including Pontius Pilate and and the rulers of the Jews and Herod and so on are morally accountable creatures before God, but their moral accountability does not make God absolutely contingent. He planned the whole thing. Yeah, amen. And you want to affirm God's sovereignty without suggesting for a moment that that um, that, that, that the the responsibility of the men involved is mitigated. Hmm. That's the way compatibilism works, and I, I don't think you can actually have a, a, a clear view of the gospel and the history that brought Jesus to the cross and beyond, unless you sign on as a compatibilist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Carson, now for our listeners out there, uh, while you were just talking about this, uh, they, they might say, well, that sounds like a contradiction. Uh, I know that you deal with this in uh, chapter 12 uh, in your book on the comfort of providence. What would you say to our listeners that might be listening for the first time or just new to the faith and they're like, well, this sounds like a contradiction. You, you just said that we wouldn't pit the verses together. What would, you, what would you say to our listeners? Well, it depends where they were in their thinking and how much time I had with them. If they're not very rigorous and they're, they're young Christians and so on, uh, I might just smile sweetly and say, uh, meditate on verses 27 and 28 together <laughs> and stick them both in your pipe and smoke them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you know, uh, it, it's uh, what's there in the text. Yeah. If, if, if they're a little more philosophically rigorous, then you start saying, well, you say they sound like a contradiction. What sounds like a contradiction? Where does the contradiction lie? Mm -hmm. And it's hard to find out where it is. Yeah. What, what they usually fall back on is there's a contradiction because they're assuming that the moral accountability 
rests on a libertarian view of free will. Hmm. But if moral responsibility is taught everywhere in Scripture, a libertarian view of free will is not. So you want to say they're, they're morally responsible for what they do, but you cannot assume a, uh, a libertarian view of free will when the very next verse says that they did what God's will had ordained should be done. Mm-hmm. And once you've taken away the libertarian view of free will and, and retreated to voluntarism, which is what Edward's view is called, um, that, that we, we are morally responsible creatures um, because we do what we really want to do. Pilate did what he wanted to do. Herod did what he wanted to do, and so on. And therefore, he is rightly to be held accountable. Um, if, if, if we uh, understand freedom and human agency and so on to be bound up with such notions as those, uh, then it's hard to see why there, you should conclude that there's a contradiction. Yeah. Right. Um, so, Dr. Carson, with, with all this um, uh, compatibilism, how, how is it that a Christian could find comfort um, just in the providence uh, of God, just in talking about all this. Uh, sometimes these subjects could scare somebody that is, uh, that is suffering or maybe going through a really, really hard tribulation in their life. Um, what, what would you say to them as an encouragement, just with the overall topic of discussion today? If they're fairly mature Christians and have thought about these things, I'd say one thing. If they're still quite immature, I'd say something slightly different. I'm prepared to say both. They're both true, but I would respond in slightly different ways. For those who've already begun to think through God's sovereignty and so on, and have got some of their theology in place, then I would say the doctrine of God's sovereignty anchors you, Hmm. because uh, not only is he sovereign, but he's good, so that even if you don't understand what is going on, or why God is leading you through these dark valleys, or what the goodness of God, what goodness of God is revealed in such a mess and such death and pain, and on and on and on. Nevertheless, um, you you believe that God is both sovereign and good, and therefore He you can you can trust Him. Hmm. And and if that's where you are, then the suffering provides an opportunity to test your faith and grow your faith. If if you only have happy things happening to you, it's easy to talk glibly about the providence of God. Yeah. If tough things happen to you, then to talk about the providence of God in all matters uh, it turns on a, a deepening of the roots of faith and, and strengthening. Amen. Now, if if I were dealing with a young Christian um, who is who is going through really major doubts over these issues? I might respond something like, if you start saying, "Why? How, how can how can God allow this?" Um, th- then the answer has got to be something like, "I don't know all the reasons, hmm. but I do know that God loved His people so much He gave His Son, hmm. and the ultimate measure of God's love of His goodness." is not found in your experience. The ultimate measure is found on the cross. Yeah, amen. Mm-hmm. Wow. So you have to go back to the cross again and again and park there. <laughs> yeah. And, so, and when you really do doubt God's goodness, watch the the, 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 the the eternal Son of God who who made the universe cry out in in desperate hurt, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. And remember again that God so loved the world that He gave His Son. Now, can you doubt the goodness of God? 
Yeah, as a reminder. So that, that means that, that you go back to a gospel focus to help understand and, 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 and face, and even if not understand, put up with, with, with obedient faith, um, something of the mystery of providence. Amen. And uh, just so that we can have as clear a definition of the gospel as possible for all of our listeners, because we like to close out with that, even though you, you certainly touched on it. Can you just share the gospel with all of our listeners um, so that they have that, that clear understanding of what God has done for us in Christ? Yes. Um, and again, it's one of those themes where I could say something in 10 or 15 words. Mm. Um, but that is patient of being uh, misinterpreted or reduced or, or dismissed. And then it, you could say something more in, in, um, in, in, in a sentence, uh, two sentences, a paragraph, a page, ten pages. Hmm. Um, the, the gospel is news. It's good news. But it's good news of what God has done. And in particular, it's good news of what God has done in Christ supremely in the cross and resurrection hmm. to uh, cancel our sin and to turn aside God's righteous wrath from us and reconcile us to God, this gift coming to us by faith, freely given in God's grace, received by faith, and mediated to us by the blessed Holy Spirit so that already we have the Spirit as the down payment of the promised inheritance, of the full inheritance that is coming to us in resurrection existence in the new heaven and the new earth. Mm. In, 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 other, in other words, you can tease out more and more and more of the gospel narrative and account and, and the place of the church and, and dealing with sin and life now and life to come. But the heart of it all, right at the very heart, what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, um, the matters of first importance are bound up with God sent his son to die on the cross for needy sinners to bear their sin in his own body on the tree, as Peter puts it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this, this substitution, such that we receive his righteousness while he bears our sin, is, is right at the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of the good news of what God has done in his son to redeem a broken and rebellious people to himself. Yeah. Amen. Thank you so much. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Carson. Uh, Well, I want to encourage everyone to really pick up yourself a copy of How Long, O Lord, Reflections on Suffering and Evil. You can pick pick it up on Amazon. Make sure to put us on your Amazon smile. (laughs) And uh, or if you are here in the community or want to swing by a bridge, you could you get yourself a copy here. Um, thank you so much, D.A. Carson, for joining us. Um, you are definitely one of our favorite theologians and persons to listen to. So yeah, <laughs> it's exciting to have you on. We have benefited so much from your from your work. So thank you. Yeah, I, uh, my I, privilege, uh, Dr. Carson. Just real quick, I heard you. You were at uh, um, uh, Evangelical Free Church with uh, uh, Pastor Jay uh, last month, and I'm preaching there. Uh, uh, we've attended that church a couple of times, and it was nice to, 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 to hear you preach there. Uh, I listen to their podcast uh, every Sunday, just so. Uh, thank you very much. Oh, in Crystal Lake. In Crystal Lake, yes, with uh, Pastor. Yeah. yeah, so um, just thank you very much and what you're doing, and, and bless you for sure. Yeah, blessings on you guys. Yeah. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that wraps up Bridge Radio, episode 100. Like we said at the beginning of the program, if you have any author recommendations, please send them to Julio Bridgman at gmail.com. Uh, and, yeah, just let us know feedback. Also, too, what what um, what stuff you would like to hear on, on the program. Um, that would be great. And uh, what did y'all think of the interview? That was great. I think I think we need our thinking caps on for that yeah one. yeah that that's a good a, one that's a podcast you got to listen to not one time not two times but like three times yeah so yeah um i'm i'm i think when it came to compatibilism the 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 middle scripture that that he talked about which was in isaiah 10 that was the one that got me mm. when i was starting to reconcile man's responsibility and god's sovereignty and i remember reading that when i was like it I, I stuck in my pipe and smoked it, yeah. like you said. <laughs> and I just I was like, I'm a compatibilist. That's yeah. it. That yeah. was the one. That was the linchpin to me becoming a compatibilist. Yeah. So, um, But anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, uh, we want to point everyone to our website, bridgemanlaredo.org, uh, just to check out uh, what we do as a ministry here. We are planted on the border of Texas and Mexico here in Laredo, Texas. Yeah. And uh, we're here to provide a biblical, solid, reformed resources to our community in English and Spanish. And uh, yeah, we just want to um, uh, ask you all to please prayerfully consider supporting us through a one-time donation, uh, um, a monthly donation, as this really allows us to expand our ministry. Mm -hmm. We're looking into a new facility. Yes. And uh, it just continues Bridge Radio and a lot of other things we want to do here long-term. Yes. Anything that you you want to do uh, to help us in that way would be much appreciated. I mean, even if it's you know ten bucks a month. I mean, yeah. that's a couple of cups you, of coffee at Starbucks. Yeah. So even if it's a dollar a month, we, yes. we, we, we fifty cents. Uh, in, in, yeah, and we appreciate all the help, mm-hmm. all the donations, because yeah. we can't do this without you. And thank you very much for just supporting the ministry. Yep. And we have a lot of exciting things that are coming up with... Good conversations get, recently. Yeah, good conversation of getting a, a, a new facility so that we can provide more resources to missionaries down in Mexico and exactly. abroad. Exactly, and that's that's a good point. It's not just so that we can do podcasts. Yes. Pod, podcasts are incidental, honestly. Yes. To yeah, what we totally do good. as a ministry. That's right. Our primary purpose is providing resources for the local community and especially for people who come across the border from Mexico. Mm-hmm. Just to provide them with the resources that they so desperately need yeah. so mm-hmm. that they can do their ministry. And then also to be a teaching ministry here as yes. well. Yeah. So yeah. your your support goes to that end. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good point. If you were to walk into Bridge Ministries, you wouldn't see a studio, a podcast yes. room. <laughs> you would see a lot of books, mm-hmm. a lot of good conversations, Bible studies and people walking out the door with all sorts of books and tracks and yeah. stuff and that's really what that, that is what we are yeah. as as a ministry first and foremost and so yeah any support even if you got like a little change piggy bank that's there <laughs> and you're yeah. like you know what i don't know what to do with this i'm gonna yeah. ship it out to laredo texas yeah, go, we'll, we'll do take, it we'll break we'll it open it. we'll break yeah we'll, we'll break, break it, it open and we'll get we'll some tracks for banks. somebody yeah, yeah. yeah. um no. yeah and 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 and, and, and we're and we're seeing that the ministry has grown and it's uh, becoming very difficult to uh, do the things that uh, uh, you and Leanne and uh, Julio uh, here at the ministry and the tasks the and task, the things yeah. that are starting to come. Yeah, and it's just not it, it's just getting tight. I mean, Julio runs a uh, Bible study on Saturday mornings and. Uh, you see those packed, and then the men's Bible study, and then the ends women's group, and then now school's getting back to get uh, back in, and mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, the homeschooling that happens here and yeah, everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So. L- l- just to give an example of what the support has done, um, we got to bring on Joey Velasquez, mm-hmm. and he's been tremendous mm-hmm. in photography and videography and preparing all this stuff. 
and uh, you know that this just kind of the things that he's going to do here at the ministry are going to be massive and tremendous and we're already starting to see wow yeah. He's, he's doing great things. So. so we're building the team here. Yeah. We are. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you. Yes. Blessings so, to you all. Thank yes. You. Share, share and like the, the podcast to your mommy, daddy, your cats and dogs, and everybody. And always we end it with one question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That is not, not that I am my own, but belong body and soul in life and death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And we'll see you on episode 101. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Later. Bye-bye.